a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and today we're going to be talking about flus and COVID-19 and what we need to know about vaccinations. So to do that, we have gone to Dr. Gordon Harkness. He's the medical director for the Intermountain Medical Group, and we're so pleased, Dr. Harkness, that you would take time to help us understand that. How are you today, Dr. Harkness? Doing great. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on. Great. Oh, well, I appreciate that. First of all, I know that Intermountain Healthcare has worked very hard when you go to the website to try to help you go, okay, these are the the typical symptoms of the flu. These are the typical symptoms of COVID-19. Here's what to watch for. Let's have a conversation that helps us understand the seasonal flu infections that typically roll through this time of year and how they affect us. Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, it is a seasonal thing that we see, and some years are worse than others. Um, We don't know what to expect each year, Uh, but uh, the flu tends to be uh, present during the uh, late fall and into the uh, winter months and sometimes even extends into the spring. And so it's something that we, we certainly watch for every year and it's something that can affect a lot of people. Um, we, we think about uh, the winter months as being the flu season and, and it's not just the flu, but flu, but you know, there's a lot of infections and colds and now we have to deal with COVID-19 on top of that as well. And what a challenge it has been, right? I mean, have, do you feel a lot of calls from uh, concerned parents and individuals who are confused about whether to interpret the symptoms that they have as being COVID-19 or just another flu? Yeah, I mean, we do, we do get a lot of calls like that. In fact, I've dealt with that with some of my own family members, extended family members as well. The, the, the difficulty is many of the symptoms of COVID-19 overlap greatly with uh, influenza or the flu. And so when, you know, when somebody's feeling a little bit sick and they've got some fevers and body aches and maybe a little bit of a cough, it's certainly with all the news about COVID-19, people are wondering, is that what I've got? But then we're going to compound that over the next few months as we start to enter into flu season with the question of, is this the flu and, and, and uh, how do we manage that and help people with that? Well, and um, I, for me, my experience, I had a flu in January of 2020, so a number of months ago. And at that point, my, um, my own body's resistance wasn't as strong to fight back an illness. I was fighting um, another issue. And, um, and yet that was so similar to COVID-19 in that I developed pneumonia. I had felt achy and sick and, you know, um, I had to be treated with, you know, uh, prednisone, I believe it was, and uh, a Z-pack to try to treat that infection that I ended up getting an antibody test to see, was it COVID-19? But it wasn't. It was a different strain of flu. So some of those flus can really knock us out. And so when we talk about influenza season 
and the power of the influenza and why we need to stop and think for a minute about getting vaccinated, think for a long minute about being vaccinated for flu. Talk to us about that, because I understand that there are some of us who are more vulnerable to getting a serious um, case of the flu. Who's, who's most vulnerable? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, and, and so in a typical flu season, the people that are the most vulnerable are going to be the very young. So think of, of toddlers and younger. Um, also, uh, pregnant women are, are a group of uh, people that, that we really worry about if they get the flu. Um, the elderly, definitely. Uh, anyone over age 65, uh, we worry about them. And then also there's a whole group of people that have other illnesses, whether it's lung illnesses or diabetes or, or uh, 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 cancers, other things like that, that sort of affect the immune system. Those individuals are, are particularly susceptible to having a bad case of the flu if they were to catch that virus. And so these are all groups of people that we really want to make sure are, are immunized against the flu. But even adding to that, as a community, the more people that um, have antibodies against an infection like the flu, the more difficult it is for that infection to spread throughout the community. So even people that don't um, have a susceptibility or an extra susceptibility to influenza because of the condition that they have, having them immunized not only helps that individual uh, but it also helps the community at large. Again, they, they, the, the term that we use in, the, in uh, medicine is herd immunity. The more people that are immune to a particular infection, the less easily that infection can spread through the community. This is, this is one of the problems we're having right now with COVID-19. Um, early on, we talked about COVID-19 as being a novel coronavirus. And the, the word novel in this sense, from a medical standpoint, means it's a virus that has not been seen by our immune systems uh, around the world. And that's one of the reasons why it's spread very easily. It's very contagious, uh, but because almost nobody has been exposed to this, it, it, it spreads through the community much more easily. That's really interesting. And obviously, you know, having a communications degree didn't prep me to understand <laughs> how uh, viruses move. But that, is, to me, is, is quite stunning that because the global population didn't already have a, a reserve of antibodies in place, it had no ability to fight it off. And so more people were getting it and then more people were spreading it. Is that a correct interpretation of what you just said? Yeah, that's that's correct. And and the other thing that makes with this particular case with COVID nineteen, the other thing that makes it a little more insidious is it's it's much more contagious than than many of the viruses out there. So it spreads more easily, um, and and that adds to it. It's not only new, and they're not there's not much immunity in the community for it, but it also is, is easily spread from person to person. Much in the same way, it's interesting. The same many viruses, respiratory viruses, are spread in the same way. Um, as we're as we're trying to prevent infections, uh, whether it be with the flu or, or COVID-19, many of the, the principles that one would use to, to prevent the spread are the same. When there are vaccines available, that is certainly something that is beneficial and helpful. But um, social distancing, hand washing, wearing of masks, uh, those those types of things that we're implementing heavily with COVID-19 are also very helpful 
with other viruses, including influenza or the flu. So if I go back for just a bit, um, and and by the way, I was looking at some of the science a couple of days ago about how tricky COVID-19 is and how when it, and and, and we hear terms like viral load. And again, I go back to most of us are, 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 you know, we're kind of getting a science lesson throughout 2020, but that the, the less exposure we have to being uh, to the virus itself uh, the the less chance we have to get a bad case of it. So if I'm understanding correctly, the reason why they're saying not only wear those masks, right, um, to keep the particles from transferring from one person to another through coughs, through singing, through talking, um, but also that the if we can minimize the amount of droplets that are spread um, back and forth, that that is helpful because if we spend a longer amount of time with another person who's infected, we could, uh, we have a greater risk of not only getting a little bit of that virus in us, but a lot more of that virus in our body. Did, did, is that correct too? Did yeah, I, yes. Is that I mean, okay? The, the, you, you have to, yes, you, you have to be exposed and I don't think we know, you know, in this getting into the technical details mm-hmm. of it, how, how many virus particles you'd have to be exposed to to develop an actual infection uh, of COVID-19. Um, but the, the more you can reduce the spread of those virus particles around uh, in the environment, the less likely people are to pick it up. And with, with respiratory viruses in general, much of the spread comes from these respiratory droplets that come uh, when we out of our mouths, out of our noses, we breathe as we cough, as we sneeze, talking, singing, all those things. And so having a barrier uh, in front of the mouth and the nose um, is one of the ways of trying to decrease the number of particles that are spreading in the immediate area where people are, are located. Um, masks aren't perfect, and, and, and you know we've heard some of the information about that in the in the news. But the thing is, is they're better than than nothing at all, and and they certainly are very effective. Um, I, an example I've used with some of my patients is to talk about, you know, you wear a seatbelt when you're in your car, but if you look at the statistics, there are occasions when even somebody wearing a seatbelt can get injured quite severely or even die in a car accident, and yet nobody throws up their arms and says, well, seatbelts don't work. Same thing could apply to, to mask wearing. Masks are not 100% effective at stopping the spread, but they certainly do a lot. And anything we can do to decrease the, the amount of particles spread is helpful. The, the other thing I think that it's important for us to keep in mind is, you know, we, we talk about these particles as being part of respiratory droplets. And, and I think, at least in my mind, I usually think of, oh, yeah, you know, you're breathing those in, and that's how you get infected. And that certainly is one of the ways you can be infected by respiratory viruses. Uh, But the other way is that some of those droplets will land on surfaces or when we cough or sneeze into our mouth or into our hand and then we touch a doorknob or, or, you know, uh, you know, a table or something like that, we can leave some of those particles uh, behind as well. And then someone else, when they touch that, could then infect themselves by touching their face. Um, And so that's the reason behind why we also strongly encourage people to um, engage in hand washing regularly and 
and especially when you've been outside of your home, um, and also avoiding touching your face. Um, the less we can do of that, the less likely we are to inadvertently spread these viruses to ourselves. Whether it's COVID-19 or the seasonal influenza that we're expecting to start really appearing in our community, both we get protection from both. When we Correct. are using social distancing, when we're using masks, when we are washing our hands with soap uh, for a, a longer period of time, I'm forgetting the number if it's 30 seconds or uh, seeing those ABCs and uh, right. disinfecting the surfaces. So I appreciate that. So masks work and social distancing works and the COVID-19 um, novel coronavirus is not on the same level as influenza. It is more communicable. It's It spreads more, uh, right? And we our bodies have fewer defense systems to fight it. Is that correct? Yeah, it seems like it is uh, more easily spread. Um, you know, we're still learning a lot about the virus. Um, there are it, it appears that at least as many, if not more people, uh, compared to the flu, uh, more people with COVID-19 end up becoming sick enough that they end up in the hospital and or the ICUs. And, you know, so it is, it, in certain ways, it does seem like a more dangerous virus. On the other hand, there are a lot of people who are effect, infected with COVID-19 who have a mild illness and or may not have many symptoms at all. And that's that's also the case with influenza and lots of viruses. So different people react differently to all of these viruses. Um, and, you know, so on the one hand, you know, we don't want to scare people into thinking that if you get COVID-19, that, you know, it's, it's a death sentence. It's a terrible thing. You're going to be extremely sick. Some people have very mild symptoms. Um, and in fact, the majority of people have mild to moderate symptoms, but there are more people that are having severe symptoms than we usually see with with something like influenza, as bad as influenza can be. Well, let's talk, and I appreciate that clarification. For those who've just joined us, this is Dr. Gordon Harkness. He's the medical director for Intermountain Medical Group. Let's talk about the vaccine for influenza and who should get it. Uh, how do we determine which vaccine? Uh, because there are, I believe, a couple different types of flu vaccines, whether it's, you know, a mist, et cetera. So who should be vaccinated um, for yeah, the flu for, season? Right. I mean, the, the simple answer on who should be vaccinated is, is everybody. Everybody really should get vaccinated. As far as an age limit, anybody, there are vaccines available for anybody age six months and older. Um, they're very few people that should not get the influenza vaccine. And those few people would be people that have had a, an adverse reaction, a severe adverse reaction to an influenza vaccine in the past. So, so that's the simple answer. But there are certain groups of people that um, we really focus on because they are the ones that can be more likely to have a severe influenza infection. So again, the, the uh, infants and toddlers, uh, we, we worry about them and they want to make sure that they're getting immunized and that the people around them are immunized. Uh, pregnant women, uh, the elderly, um, any, really anyone over age 65, um, in good health or not, ought to be getting the flu vaccine. And, um, and then certainly anybody with other uh, diseases. Uh, diabetes is, is kind of a common example we talk about. But, you know, people with asthma, people with, with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or other lung uh, diseases that 
people with cancer that are immunocompromised, um, if they can get the vaccine, should be getting it, or at the very least, the people that are around them should be getting them. Um, you mentioned that, that there are different vaccines uh, available, um, and and uh, the, really the the best source of information for which vaccine would be the best for you would be to talk to either uh, your doctor or or your pharmacist. But most of the vaccines out there are what we call a quadrivalent uh, vaccine, which means it has four different strains of the influenza virus in the vaccine. Um, and the reason for that is every year as we look at uh, at the upcoming flu season, the epidemiologists, the, the scientists that are the experts on this are looking at what's going on in the rest of the world and they're making their best determination on which strains of influenza are most likely to cause problems here in the United States. And, and then they make a decision on that and, um, and then the vaccines that are created uh, for the upcoming flu season have those uh, four different strains of flu in them. In some years, it's a better match than other years, but every year there, there's, we're seeing that there's benefit to getting the flu vaccine. Um, there, most of the time we're doing the vaccines through an, an injection, um, and, uh, uh, but there are some uh, vaccines available that can be sprayed into the nose um, for certain age groups. And again, you'd wanna check with your doctor on that. And then the other uh, one difference for those that are older than or 65 and older is that we have a high dose version of the vaccine. And the reason behind that is all of us, as we get older, um, our immune systems don't react as strongly to vaccinations. And uh, so these high dose flu vaccines are, are designed to help produce a better immune response and give better protection for people that might not have as strong of an immune response to the regular vaccine. All right. So we'll be the, the, the average, I'd say Joe or Jolene, but uh, the majority of us can get that quadrivalent injection, the flu shot. And yes, I just got my, correct. even though I've been um, recently treated uh, with chemo and radiation, my white blood cell counts were at a place that um, we felt like, the doctors felt like the best thing for me to do would be to get, let's get that flu shot and get those, uh, get that defense in your body in case uh, the flu season, you know, you'll get one of those strains. And um, there was a, you know, a great uh, group of people all, you know, social distancing, wearing masks, waiting uh, to get their flu shot. But the majority of us will get that injection. You can talk to your doctor also about the nasal spray. Um, and if you're over 65, ask about the high dose quadrivalent, um, which will help. When you get the flu shot, Dr. Harkness, does that give you your body time then to create antibodies so that you are ready to fight off the influenza if you're exposed to it either on a surface or by breathing it in or however we, you know, uh, transmit uh, the influenza from one to another? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So uh, when when you are getting the injection or the uh, the spray into the nose, basically what's being done is we're introducing either inter inactivated virus or particles of a virus, proteins from a virus that your body will then recognize as um, foreign and will develop an immune response to them. And and so that what that means is that when in the future, if you actually are exposed to the the flu 
virus, the same strain of the flu virus that was in the vaccine, your body's already got a, a step up on it in terms of how to fight it and how to get rid of it quickly and, effect and effectively. So it's kind of like that getting a vaccination is kind of like um, sending your body to school to learn about what future infections might be coming and teaching your body how to fight them off before they're actually exposed to it so that when the real thing does come, you're much better prepared to fight it off. Mm. And in in some case, in many cases, it might mean that if you're if you're exposed to um, the flu virus, you might not get sick at all. In other cases, it might mean that uh, you you get a little bit sick, but not nearly as sick as you might have. Um, there's lots of studies out there that show that that vaccines are effective. Um, I was re recently looking at some information on the CDC uh, uh, website, and they were talking about studies where they showed that that not only do people get less sick with the flu vaccine once you've had the vaccine if you're exposed to um, the flu virus, you're less likely to end up in the hospital. And of those that end in, up end up in the hospital. Um, you're less likely to end up in the ICU, and those that are in the ICU are getting out of the ICU quicker. Um, so there's benefits all around. It, getting the flu vaccine does not mean that you can't still get an infection with influenza, but it does uh, significantly reduce the chance that you're going to get it. It decreases the chance that you're going to have a severe infection, and it improves the chance that uh, you'll recover from it if you do get a severe infection. And I was thinking again about what you said, is that those who are most vulnerable to getting a serious response to the flu, to the influenza, um, people over the age of 65, anyone with an immune compromise um, situation, whether they've been treated like uh, for cancer, uh, pregnant women and young children. And so vulnerable populations. So when we get that flu shot, if we're healthy and we're 35 and we're like, you know, I just ran eight miles yesterday or, you know, it's the antibodies within ourselves that we get from getting the flu shot can then help us uh, protect us from passing that on to the vulnerable people around us. Is that correct? That's also correct. Yeah. That, again, that's uh, that, that term that you've heard thrown out sometimes talking about COVID-19, that herd immunity. So if you can create a, a bubble of people around these most vulnerable people that are also immune um, or more likely to be immune to the influenza uh, virus because they've been vaccinated, then that vulnerable person is much less likely to end up with the uh, infection themselves. Um, we especially talk about this. I have new mothers uh, in my office, and they have, uh, you know, a, a baby that's, you know, three or four months old, and uh, is not able to get the flu vaccine because you do have to be at least six months old to get it. I, I really emphasize to them how important it is for all the family members that are going to be around that baby to get immunized to decrease the chance that that baby would would be exposed and infected. So yeah, it does work that way. Um, so again, there's two reasons to get a vaccine. One is for yourself to lessen the chance that you actually will get sick with with that uh, infection. And number two is as a member of the community to help decrease the chance that infections like this spread throughout our communities. Mm. Dr. Harkness, we have just about four minutes um, left uh, together. And I appreciate so much of your insight about the importance of getting vaccinated against influenza, the importance of getting the flu shot uh, to protect ourselves and to protect others. Is it possible for someone to get the influenza virus and also COVID-19? That's a really good question. And I, I don't know that we know the answer for sure, but it's suspected that likely 
you can get both at the same time. It's really hard to distinguish between the two um, uh, infections because the symptoms overlap so much. And they both include fevers, chills, body aches, um, cough, you know, respiratory uh, distress or, or shortness of breath. And, and so it's, it's hard to distinguish the two, but back to your, to your question, can, can you get both of them at the same time? It is possible. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say how likely that is. Um, and I would think that, you know, if somebody is infected with multiple different viruses at the same time, that does make it more difficult for their bodies to fight off uh, all those infections at the same time. It's one of the reasons why we're really pushing for people to be immunized for influenza so that we can kind of, as much as possible, take that one off the table, uh, knowing that we're likely to have a lot of COVID-19 still going around in the community and what, throughout this winter. And where do you advise us uh, to get our flu shots at? So you can get it. Uh, most of your most of the doctors' offices will have them. Pharmacies will have them. But a, a, a great um, one local resource that is a, a great website to to look at is intermountainhealthcare.org/flu. So just intermountainhealthcare.org/flu. If you go to that website, it has a lot of great information about the influenza virus, but it also has links. Uh, telling you about places where a uh, flu vaccine is available, uh, clinics that are having, you know, flu vaccine drives where, where they're uh, getting a lot of people vaccinated in, in, in a relatively short period of time. But your doctor's office, pharmacies, um, other clinics, and, uh, and again, you can check on, on the web for different uh, places that are having flu clinics. Dr. Gordon Harkness, thank you so much for joining us. The flu, the flu vaccine, the flu season's here, and it's time to get that flu uh, vaccine. The earlier in the season you uh, get it, uh, uh, the more protection you'll have throughout the season. So this is the time. Like winter tires on your car, it's time for that flu vaccine. Dr. Gordon Harkness, the Intermountain Healthcare Medical Director and a wonderful family practitioner as well as I'm familiar with him as a family practice physician. So, Dr. Harkness, thank you so much for your information, uh, your advocacy for our health, our individual health, and our community's health. And thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.